Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. This is the final part of a three-part series that we're calling Resistance, where three times in, the, in Mark chapter 12, in that chapter, uh, three times somebody asked him a question, a trick question, or maybe it would be better to say a trap question. Ask him a question designed to catch him in his words so they could say, Jesus said, and criticize him and find fault with him and hopefully get him removed from uh, what he was doing. Nobody would listen to him anymore. So Mark chapter 12, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 28 here in just a minute. But uh, let, me, let me say two things. Uh, first, we have a ministry that our church has been doing for a long time at Betts Nursing Home. Uh, it's a retirement home for people uh, who need a little bit of assistance, so they, they, they're over there, and they try to pre- provide uh, activities for them, and one of them is a church service, and we go in there every Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock. We do 20 minutes of singing the, the kind of songs that they're familiar with, hymns, and then we do 20 minutes of preaching, and after 40 minutes, we're done. We shake hands, make people feel important, and uh, I want to I mention that to you again, because if you are a person who is free in the afternoons, and you'd be free from 2 to 3 to go to Betts Nursing Home and be a part of the service of what we do there, I would like to encourage you to come and tell me, talk to me about it. We need somebody who can lead some songs, so you don't have to, you don't have to be uh, real fancy at, at singing. Uh, these are people who really hear everything you say muffled anyway. I, I tell you that because I'm, I'm old enough to know. And, uh, and, and they need to be appreciated. These are people who built the system that we enjoy today, and now they're retired. So if you'd like to be a part of helping in that, just come and see me, uh, and, uh, and we'll get you fixed up. And the other thing I wanted to say is if you happen to bump into my wife, Anita, after the service is over, be sure to tell her happy birthday. You'll make her feel good. She's at the age where she doesn't like birthdays, but if you smile at her, she'll like it. Okay, so Mark chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 28, where it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? That's a good question. It's a loaded question, a trick question, a trap question, because you know as well as I do, that's an opinion question. Of the 316 thou shalts and thou shalt nots, it's an opinion. I had a, a dream last week. Took me a couple days to sort out what the Lord was saying in it. I, I, in this dream, I was in a classroom, a rather large classroom, and judging from the age of the students, I'm guessing it was a college classroom. And I uh, don't know what the topic was, but there was a, uh, a map on the, on the wall of early America, and I remember rec- seeing the date 1743 on it, so I presume it was probably around the... T- it was, a, it was a historical map around the time of the French and Indian War, I'm guessing. Um, and I, I remember feeling insecure, like, oh, I'm supposed to teach this class. I'm not prepared. And 
I, I, I went to the, uh, to the desk in the front, and there was a lesson plan, and I picked it up. And as I picked it up, somebody raised their hand, and I called on them, and they asked me a question. I don't know what the question was about, but I remember I had an answer. And I answered the question, and somebody else raised a hand and asked another question. So I answered that question. Somebody else raised a hand, and I answered their question. And I kept thinking to myself, Will you stop raising your hands and asking questions? I, I need to glance at the lesson plan here. I need to see what I'm supposed to be teaching on. I don't even know what this class is about. And the whole class time, I was answering people's questions. And when I woke up, I thought, well, that's probably my insecurities. I wasn't prepared and, and I wanted to be more prepared. But I thought, as this dream kept coming up in my mind, I thought, there's got to be a lesson in this. What's the lesson? And then, as I was preparing for this lesson this morning, the Lord reminded me, it's always better to answer the questions people are asking than to answer questions they don't care anything about. Because they're, when they ask a question, they're going to be receptive to it. And so I think it's a good illustration of what's happening here. People are asking Jesus questions, and he doesn't say, Will you please shut up with your stupid questions? I have something important to say. He responds to every question they threw at him because that's where their heart was. That's where their concern was. So he addressed that. And when you answer a question that somebody asks, a legitimate question, they're probably going to retain the answer a whole lot better than if they didn't care anything about it. So asking the question, of all the commands... Which is the most important? That's like saying, of all the points in the Constitution of, a, of the United States, which is the most important point? Well, you know, there's conservatives that are going to answer one thing and, and liberals that are going to answer another. It's a, it's, it's a political question, which is the most important? Jesus knew that. He knew the kind of question it was. And he knew the word inside and out. So he recognized this question that came at him. So I want us to think a minute. How would you, of all the commands, the 316 thou shalts and thou shalt nots, which is the most important? To answer that question, you have to have a, a way of measuring the different commands. And is he asking the question, which is the most important from God's perspective, or which is the most important from the Pharisees' perspective, or which is the most important for a human perspective? How do, how do you measure God's law? How do you decide which is the most important, which is the second, which is the third, which is the fourth? How do you measure them? I think you're smart enough to know that's a difficult question. And to, to, for you to answer it correctly doesn't mean it's the correct answer for somebody else. So notice who asked the question. It was the teachers of the law. First question was probably asked by a Pharisee. The second question we looked at last week was asked by a Sadducee. It tells us right there. This time it's a, it's a teacher of the law or a scribe that you couldn't go to bookstores back in those days and buy a a bound Bible like you can today. Somebody had to hand write that. 
Somebody had to take a quill and a bottle of ink and write it on a scroll, and it took a lot of time. And it was, the way they wrote it was important. It's like you can, you can take an O and turn it into a Q with just a little tiny mark. You can take an L and turn it into a T with another small mark. And it's the same thing with the, with the Bible back then. It was important they did everything just right. So they were detailed people to be able to be scribes and be teachers of the law. And he heard the people debating with Jesus. He considered it a debate. You know what a debate is? That's when somebody takes a point and argues it. Recently, you know, I'm a family history buff, and uh, recently I was... I accidentally actually came upon it in an 1887 newspaper where my great-grandfather was a part of a debate team, a debate club, where they debated issues. And my great-grandfather was representing uh, the, the question in this debate club where people would come together and debate things. The, the, the purpose, uh, the question that they debated on this particular event in 1887 was, are all secret societies contrary to the Bible? And my great-grandfather took the argument that they were. And somebody else took the argument that they weren't, and they debated that. And then they announced what the next debate topic was going to be. And that was, should we allow all these immigrants to keep coming into our country? 1887, that was the debate topic. Interesting, some things never change. So he heard them debating, and he liked Jesus' answers. Now, a lot of the religious people didn't like his answers because he straightened them out. But this guy liked his answers, which tells us he probably wasn't a Sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection, and he addressed that last week, remember? So wasn't a wasn't a Sadducee. So he must have been a Pharisee from that perspective. And he says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Some translations say, which is first, which seems to be in, in order. So I looked that word up, and it's the Greek word protos. Protos, we get our word prototype from it. And it has to do with first in sequence. So I presume most important would be a good translation for that. Which is the most important of all those commands that God gave us? that we should live. So how do we measure the law? That's difficult, but Jesus had a way of measuring it. So that's, that's the first blank, if you want to fill it in, measuring the law, which takes us then to the second part of the story in uh, verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus says that's the most important commandment. And he passed the test because all good Pharisees and Sadducees, they would all agree that love the Lord your God is the most important. Let's go back and look at that. It's in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. 
It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Look at that again. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But Jesus just said, I forgot where my Bible was. But Jesus just said, You shall uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus added one to it. Instead of loving him with all three things, he says with all four things. Interesting. Jesus added to the word, and everybody seemed to like what he said. He added the word mind. Mind is a part of your soul. It's that inner being inside of you. Your body's going to die and decay one day, but your soul, this personality on the inside, this, this part of you that thinks and reasons and makes decisions, that soul is eternal. It's going to live on forever. Maybe it's going to be in heaven. I would hope so. Maybe it's going to be in hell, but your soul is designed by God to be eternal. It's your body that's going to die one day. Where is your soul going to be? That's the question. Your mind is a part of your soul. Now, the, uh, this is called the Shema. And every honorable Jew would recognize the, this statement of loving the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Every Jew would recognize that. It's called the Shema. It's a Hebrew word for to hear. Remember, it started out, hear, O Israel. To hear, it's what Shema means. This is a standard, basic uh, belief of Judaism. It would compare to the Lord's Prayer in Christianity. It's something everybody knows. Most people haven't thought it through, but everybody knows it. The Shema. Love the Lord your God. And then he says, he, he, as he describes it, he's obviously talking about it requires some action. Love isn't a feeling. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I love God, and I don't see anything in their life pointing that they love God. You see, if you're going to love God, you have to have some expression of that. What kind of marriage is it when there's no expression of love, but we say we love each other? Where's that love? You know, love has got to express itself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He uses that word all for each of these four points. In other words, good enough isn't good enough. He wants us totally sold out, on fire, committed. Love the Lord your God with everything within your being. But that's kind of hard when we're so caught up in the cares of this world, we have jobs to do. We have families to interrelate with. We, we have so many things to do. It's so hard to love God with everything when there's so many other things encroaching in our, into our territory, into our mind, into our thinking. And Jesus added that one, your mind. In other words, put your brain in gear. Think this through. Make a decision with what you're going to do, with what you feel and what you believe. 
And you can't let your feelings dictate who you are and what you're going to do with your life. Put your brain in gear. Some of us, I think, in, in, when it comes to Christianity, we put our brain in neutral. We need to put our brain in gear. God will teach us so much if we'll put our thinking into play. Take what we know about God and apply that into the cares of this world. Somebody say amen. So, I did what my mom wanted most of the time because I loved her. But love wasn't a point with my dad. I was, I was probably in my 30s before I ever heard my dad tell me he loved me and I ever told my dad I loved him. But I did what I needed to do around the house because I respected my dad. I wouldn't call it love. I was scared of him. Not that he would swap me because he rarely did that. I only remember being spanked twice. And I will never forget either one of them. My dad let me have it. He didn't spank me because he was frustrated. He only spanked me when he knew I needed it. And I think only getting spanked twice by my dad, I was a pretty good kid. At least I pulled a, pulled a wool over his eyes. My dad had authority, and I respected that. And I was afraid of what would happen if I didn't do what he wanted. So I did my very best to follow his rules. It's like that with God. Love isn't a feeling. It's a respect. It's a fear of what could happen if I disobey it's a desire, an earnest desire to honor him and do what my Father God wants me to do. That's why I obey. So if you're a, a, one of these loving people, you can love God. But if you're like me, you can respect God. And I'm one that chooses to respect. So the blank there is hearing, hearing the instruction, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything you are. Love the Lord your God. That's the greatest commandment. Every one of us in this room ought to put that into play and rethink what we're doing with our lives today. Here's the third part. This is practicing the commands. Look at verse 31. Jesus goes on in response to that question, and he says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the first one was the most well-known command of all the Jews. Nobody is going to disagree with that. Love the Lord your God. He is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being. And then he says this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's an obscure scripture that comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And let's read that together. He says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. Notice, your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, notice the context. You're not going to take any vengeance or bear any grudge against the children of your people. That's the Israelites, your, 
your kind. So love your neighbor as yourself. Makes sense. Everybody knows what that means. But who's my neighbor? You see, where can, can I find a loophole in this? Is some, can, can I find someone who's not my neighbor? That's the question. So he takes the most common command and a, 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 an obscure command in a place where people really don't look, and he puts them together, and he says, these are the two greatest. And he says, there's no greater commandment than these anywhere in the Bible. This is the most important. Now, he didn't downgrade the other laws. If God said, thou shalt or thou shalt not, it has significance. It has everything to do with, with uh, how God's going to treat us in the future. He didn't downgrade those, but he said, these are, this is the most important because it, it comp- compasses all the others right here. So if you want me to, to come up with number one, I'll give you number two along with it. And he gives them this answer. Because love is an attitude. It's an attitude. To love God is an attitude. To love your neighbor is an attitude. To ask the question, who is my neighbor, looking for a loophole, reveals an attitude. We don't really love. We'll love those that love us back. But... If they're not going to love us back, or if I think I'm better than them, that, that sheds a whole new uh, shadow on this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, I speak in the tongues of men, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then let's look at verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. For Paul had to measure. He had to measure all these things. And he comes up, number one, the most important is love. Caring about someone else. He's talking, when he's talking about the greatest commandments, he's talking about Relationships, love, vertical, love the Lord your God with everything you are. That's vertical love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's horizontal love. You can't love your neighbor without loving God. Do we see this? You can't because sometimes our neighbors are stinkers. Our neighbors are trouble. Our neighbors are culturally different than us. Our neighbors rub us the wrong way. The only way to love your neighbor is to love God. It's a requirement. So it's all about relationships. 
And then, and then he goes on, verses 32 and 33. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, <clears throat> with all your understanding, <clears throat> with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Whoa. He came with a trick question, and Jesus made him happy. Jesus satisfied him. The man agreed with Jesus' answer. He didn't debate back with a rebuttal, because then Jesus would have had to respond. <clears throat> Pharisee agreed with him. Now, Luke tells us the same story. But Luke adds something that Mark leaves out. Luke adds that the man responded and says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then responded to his question. And he said, there was this man who was on a journey who got robbed by thieves. And they beat him up and they robbed him of everything he had. And they left him in a, in a ditch half dead. And a priest comes along road and he looks down and he sees him down in the ditch but he passed over to the other side of the road and went on ahead because he had an appointment at the temple important things to do and then some levites came along and they're they're walking down the same road and they see the man laying in the ditch but they have important things to do at the temple as well so they crossed over to the other side and passed on but then he says a Samaritan came along the same road and looked down and saw this man in the ditch. Now, Samaritans, are, they, were, they were despised. They were a cultural group, good, honorable Jews wanted nothing to do with. They saw this, uh, he saw the man down there, and he got down in the ditch with the man who was bloody, who was naked, who had nothing, helped him up, cleaned him off, put him on his donkey, took him on down the road to the nearest inn, put him in the inn, nursed him to health, and paid the bill. And Jesus says, now, who treated the man like a neighbor? Who treated him like they should? Everybody knew the answer to the question, but everybody was afraid to answer it because it would condemn themselves, their own attitudes, and for us today, in the 21st century, it's so much easier to hustle on down the road and get to church so we can go through our routine at church and forget the guy who's left half dead on the side of the road. Somebody say amen. Because we all have that temptation. So Mark doesn't leave that part of the story. He leaves that out. He doesn't deal with it. He seems to want to end on the positive, that the man agreed with Jesus, so he leaves it there. And I think we should always, no matter what happens in our life, we should look for the positive, because there's always something positive in it. How does God fit into this story? That would be revealing. Let's, let's go to the, the fourth point I want to share in verse 34. It ends like this. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far 
from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I love it. Jesus silenced them, not by showing them up, but by answering honestly. He answered the truth. The fourth point then uh, is approaching the kingdom. You are not far. What does not far mean? I think it means not quite. Almost, but not quite. Paul had to stand before King Agrippa and defend what he's, the preaching that he's doing. King Agrippa listened to him, listened to his testimony, listened to what he had to say, and, and he said, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a believer. Almost. Close only counts in horseshoes. And the young people don't have a clue what I just said. They didn't ask any more trick questions. He silenced that. They were trying to trap him, and they obviously had a strategy. Let's go ask him questions and catch him in his words. And they seemed to be conspiring together to do it. But it didn't work. I love, I love this we learned from this story. If you're going to argue with Jesus, he'll argue back. If you're going to agree with Jesus, he's going to agree with you. I want him to agree with me. I'm not going to argue. I don't understand why he, Jesus does some of the things he does. I don't understand what his, what his big picture is because some things just look like I don't see God in this at all. But I'd rather agree with him because I know he knows better than me. So I'm not going to argue with him. So maybe you're going through some tough things in your life right now. You can argue with him and get in no place, or you can agree with him, and he'll agree with you, and you'll be a winner. You can win or you can lose, and it all has to do with an attitude. Are you going to love God, or are you going to love yourself? You love this world, or you love the kingdom? Because this man was not far. I believe there's some people here this morning that are not far. You're not a bad person. You're not far. But you're almost there. Not quite. Almost. Let's take the big step. Let's decide to make what he says the most important thing that we say. Let's agree with him. Amen? Let's stand together. Now, if I know God like I think I do, and the Spirit of God in me is the same Spirit that's in you, then most probably what I've been saying has taken a place. It's settled down. It's touched your heart. You know what the Lord's saying to you. You know what you need to do. Let's just make a decision to do that. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters. Father, we've come to your house because we want to connect with you. We've come to your house because we want to hear your word. We've come to your house because we want to love one another and receive the love of one another. So, Father, I pray that you're going to do that thing that you're speaking to us right now that we need to do, a bigger step we need to take. Help us, Lord, to know how to do that 
And Father, what you've begun, the work you've begun in us, help us to follow through with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.